Mark chapter 7. We're going to close out of chapter 7, if you can believe it. Not even at the halfway mark, but we'll be in the halfway mark over the next couple weeks. Um, And I've kind of mapped this thing out to where uh, we may be done in a few years. So Mark chapter 7, I'm going to pick it up in this last section of this gospel in this chapter, verse 31 through 37. Um, And if you are asking what kind of, what translation do you read out of, we typically read out of the English Standard Version, that's the ESV, the Elect Standard Version, as it's called. Verse 31, let's pick it up and let's read the word of God this morning. Then he, he being Jesus, right, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee and the region of Decapolis. Now we'll get into that in a little bit, but I'm going to, I want you to note that, that he's now back, that he's in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, note this, what Jesus does. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue (laughs) and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Aphatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened. I practiced that word about 10 times. His tongue was released and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged him, this is interesting, do not tell anyone. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they became. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak One more time, let's go before the Lord and ask him to bless the reading of his word. God, bless this time we have together, Lord. I pray, God, that as so many of us, we may have come in here looking for a word. Thank you, God, that your word just spoke to us. We just heard your voice speak to us, Lord. So, God, now we ask that you be mighty to save, Lord. God, may we not just be hearers of your word, but also doers of it also. And again, may you be magnified in this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. For over, well over a year, Jesus and his ministry has been in this area of uh, Galilee. By the time we get to chapter 10, he's going to leave the region and head back to Judea, spend his final months there through the southern part and go through Jerusalem where he will eventually be crucified, resurrected, and then ascend back into the heavens. He's about to leave Galilee, but before he leaves Galilee, he's making a little journey and a little detour again through this countryside and crosses some borders, uh, like we talked about last week, into some Gentile areas. Remember, Gentiles, it's just you're not a Jew. That's what a Gentile is. And so there was racial tension happening throughout the area. And so Jesus is traveling with his 12 disciples into this Gentile area. Now, we know that Jesus is traveling into this area so that he can get some private time with his boys. Now, why is he so adamant about getting this private time with the 12 disciples? Well, mainly just as we said, Jesus only has a few more months before he is crucified, before he is resurrected, before he is ascended, and before the Holy Spirit comes down upon the 12 disciples. 
And so it's important that Jesus takes these moments with these 12 disciples so that they can learn. And so it's like a walking seminary, right? It's like a walking um, theology 101 with Jesus. And Jesus is teaching his boys and he's, and he's instructing them about the way of which they should teach, the way they should heal, the way they should go about their ministry. Because really it's kind of going to rest on them, right? Because after Jesus' crucifixion, after his resurrection, after his ascension, um, who, who's left then for this mighty move of God to take place throughout the whole world? Well, well, these 12, well, minus one, but uh, these guys right here. And so it's through the Holy Spirit, through these men, that God is going to usher in his kingdom, the church, into where it's just not going to be for the Jews, but it's going to spread throughout the world. And this is Jesus's plan. He doesn't have a backup plan. This is the plan. It's Jesus's plan to instruct these 12 whom they will be sent out and the church will explode from there. So this is why Jesus is traveling with his 12, trying to get uh, this private time with his boys. But from what we know last week, really wasn't much private about it, right? I mean, this mom comes up to him. She's got the the demon-possessed daughter. And so Jesus is trying to get this time away. But everywhere he goes, it seems, there's people all around him. And so there's no, um, the story is no different where Jesus is going to Decapolis, again, trying to seek this time to where he can get alone with his boys, but, but he finds himself, again, with crowds, with people, wanting to touch him, wanting Jesus to touch them. And Decapolis is an interesting place that he finds himself in. This is a region with ten cities. So it's Hellenized with Greek influence, pagan ideas, very heathenistic area. I mean, just think California it, on steroids, right? This is, this is the area in which Jesus comes to, but he's met with people. He's met with people who are struggling, people who are sick, people who are just in desperate need of a touch from Jesus. And so this is where we're going to break down the story. I want you to look at verse 32, and I want us to look at this, this part where he's unable to speak. So they brought him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. So they meaning, this is either some friends of this guy, and we know this because of how culture would view someone like this guy. We'll get into that in just a second. This is either family or friends, unnamed people, but they have a love and concern for their friend who is deaf and mute. Now, he's likely mute because this was probably a birth defect that he had that caused the deafness. And so he's either, uh, this is caused in birth or before he is in that time where he's learning to communicate. So he does not understand anything. He cannot speak. So he's mute, but this is likely transferred in a better way is that he just has this uh, type of speech impediment. So he doesn't even know what words are and what he's even trying to communicate. So he has this deafness either by birth or by some virus that took place in very, very early age of his life. There were no remedies for this. This isn't modern-day society where we have hearing aids, where we have speech therapy, where we have all these different ways to where now we can communicate if this is us. There was no medicine for him. None of that was 
had benefit for him. He's in this ancient world where, in fact, most people uh, in the ancient world, if, if you were born with this type of birth defect, uh, you were considered insane. In fact, Jews in this time period, particularly Pharisees, uh, they believed that this was just a curse from God. That God had ostracized this man and God had placed a curse upon this man. And since the Pharisees and, and these religious leaders couldn't understand him and they didn't think that they could understand anything, they just immediately put this cat into a category where he was mentally insane. I mean, how's that for like some love from the religious leaders? Well, we really don't know what you can think. We really don't know what's going through your brain because you have no way of communicating. So we're just going to automatically assume that you are insane. A curse from God. And that was, that was, that was God's people, his chosen people. That's how they viewed this deaf and mute guy. There's no telling what the Hellenistic, this wicked culture this Gentile culture, there's no telling how they viewed him. So we can automatically just kind of, uh, and it's not an assumption, we can, we can believe that this guy was just kind of uh, ostracized and kind of placed on the margins of society just because he was born with this birth defect. A lifetime of stigma, a lifetime of sadness. This is your life. You've been rejected your whole life. Up to this point, his friends, thank God he had friends, heard about this man named Jesus. Heard about this guy who had been doing some healing. Heard about Jesus who had cast demons out. And had enough faith to where they would take their friend and the Bible says, in literal translation, they threw him. It's just like you taking your friend and you're just so excited you finally see Jesus, you lose your mind. And so you take him and you shrug him and you just throw him at the feet of Jesus. They're excited. They understand that they are in the presence of the one who can make new ears Make new mouths, make new tongues, the one who can heal. And I love this. They, they begged him to lay his hand on him. And this is what Jesus did. Like he touched people. He put his hands on people when he healed them. There's a tender to this. There's a, there's a, a huge thing that Jesus is communicating to the people around him. Right? If you're sick, the religious uh, extra-biblical laws is like, no, you got you, you remember this word, social distance? I know you are ready to hear that word again. No? Okay, you can stop that. Dude, literally, co- coronavirus came up on my voice. It's, leave me alone, government. Social distance. They were the authors of it. This wasn't a new idea. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, the one with their extra biblical laws. It wasn't a law of God. Don't touch the unclean. Don't touch the deaf. Don't touch the mute. Don't touch the blind. And so Jesus, it, like, it's kind of cool because Jesus 
is kind of displaying a couple of things when he's always healing people by touching them. One, it's a tenderness that he actually cares for the people. And another, it's in defiance to the religious establishment. Like, what are you going to do about it? You social distance, I'll touch them. And I will make them whole. It's this way of expressing Jesus' compassion and his love for people. And then Jesus kind of illustrates by he, he takes him in, verse 33. They throw him at his feet, and Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. you got to understand, there's a, likely a heap of people. There's chaos. The crowds are probably caving in. It's a crushing crowd. And Jesus takes the man who has been ignored all of his life and takes him, takes him in in a private situation. The man who has received scorn and disdain this is a man who has likely not received this type of personal care and comfort and compassion. Jesus takes him in and gives this man who has lived his life in isolation, in the margins of society, and Jesus gives him his full attention. And I got to tell you this next part it does something to me. It, Jesus began to speak to him in his own type of sign language. Now, they didn't have American sign language like we have. Jesus is about to, to give him like some signs that I think if we look at a deep level, this is very significant and this is very telling of who the type of person and, the, and who Jesus really is. The first thing Jesus does is he puts his fingers in his ears, both sides. And what is Jesus doing here? He was identifying to the man that he knew about his problem. And he, please don't, this is powerful. This is what Jesus is saying here when he's touching his, his putting his fingers in his ears. He's telling this man, listen, you're not insane. You are not crazy. You are not what people have told you that you are your whole life. And that's, man, that's powerful what Jesus is doing. That how culture and how everyone has labeled him, just by the simple action of Jesus, by placing his fingers in his ears, is an illustration to this man. Listen, you are not what people have said about you your whole life. What does it say about Jesus? That he understands. Isn't that powerful? That Jesus understands the real issue. Not that you're crazy. Not what people have labeled you. Not what your parents have said about you. Jesus gets the real you. He understands the pain. And not only does he understand, but he's about to display a mighty powerful act here. He is going to make this man New. So he gives them this symbolic gesture here. And secondly, after spitting, he touched the tongue. And he said to this, like, what is this saying? Like, again, Jesus is displaying. I get it. I understand you're not insane. You're not crazy. You just have a speech problem. You just have a hearing. And I'm here to fix. I'm here to make you new. And then there's another thing that Jesus does. He looks up to heaven. 
That's another sign that Jesus is giving this man. What is Jesus saying here? We can assume that anyone in a Hellenistic-type society or Greco-Roman society would look up to some type of deity. Sadly, their deity wouldn't answer. Their little G-God would not answer them. But Jesus here is giving another illustration to this man by simply looking up to the heavens. He is telling everyone around him that God himself has come down from the heavens, and he is here to touch you and make you whole. And then we get another sign, as if three weren't enough. Jesus is going to give yet another sign here. Not only does he look up to the heavens, look what he does. He looks up to the heavens and gives a deep sigh. Now the man could see, right? He just couldn't hear, couldn't speak. So you got to understand, if you're deaf, you can't speak, you have a vision to where you, you are going to be overlooking, overanalyzing everything. And so he sees Jesus' mouth move, yet is another sign. This sigh, they have to read lips. It's an expression of sympathy, an expression of pain over the man's suffering, an expression of compassion and tenderness and strong emotion that Jesus has for this guy. And just with these simple gestures, Jesus is teaching about who he is. That he is God all-powerful, and he is here to make you new. Just by these simple gestures. You're not crazy. You're not what people have told you you are your whole life. You're not insane. You're not the, the, the sum total of what your parents or what your family thinks you are. Jesus is about to give this man a complete new identity. And in, in this, who Jesus is, a, a God of compassion. What the Gospels say that Jesus looks over the crowds and he has this compassion for them. And he's just displaying this over again with this man who has been deaf and mute his whole life that Jesus cares. Not a, not a profound, not, not some deep revelation that we may have been looking for, but maybe the reminder that we need that when you feel lost, that when you feel confused, when you feel like there's no hope, and when you feel abandoned, know that Jesus cares for you. He takes his time, and you're not alone. Now in verse 34, he said to him, Ephaphtha, that is to be opened, and his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he's, check this out now, <laughs> this is crazy, and he, sp- and he spoke plainly. You, you get the extent of this, right? He's, right? He's been deaf, been mute his whole life, likely, or up until maybe two or three. How did he understand what was being said? How can he suddenly speak in his native language. 
Do you see the big miracle here? It's not that just Jesus healed his ears. It's not that just Jesus um, allowed him to speak. But this big miracle here that you cannot miss is that this guy now clearly understands and he is clearly speaking his language. How can he do this? Because Jesus makes things new. He didn't fix his ear. He didn't fix his tongue. He just created a whole new situation for this man. He made him new. He made him well completely. Because that's what Jesus does. He doesn't fix you. He doesn't tweak you. You know what I think in your life you need is just a little tweaking. And then you'll be so much better off in your life. That's not what Jesus does. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't take this man and he's like, well, I'm going to allow you to speak and to hear, but good luck on um, learning how. Because, you know, in your older life, you're not really going to figure it out. <laughs> Trying to learn Spanish at the age of 40. I don't, it's not working out well for me. Like, I don't know if I'm, like, the older I get, the dumber I get. I, just, I, don't, under, I don't understand this. But imagine this being your life, and then suddenly Jesus heals you completely. He didn't need your speech therapy, right? We're, we're the disciples standing around. Um, Peter, you, got, you, you know sign language, right? Can you teach it to him? Or you, you know speech therapy. You're always um, the one speaking out, Peter. No, it, G, Jesus made him completely new. No one was there to coach him. No one was there to give him speech therapy. No one, because Jesus makes things well and new. And now, I got a little problem with this next part. He's unable not to speak. So huge, I mean, it's like night and day different. Unable to speak. Now he's, he can't Shut up. He's like my five-year-old. And not just that, my five-year-old, he, he talks, but he's got this level that's like, at every moment, I'm like, turn your volume down. Or father is going to go crazy. I imagine this is like this guy who has this intensity and this volume and, he's, and he can't shut his mouth. But Jesus says to him, don't tell anyone. Why would Jesus do that to this poor guy? It just seems cruel. Of all the commands Jesus could have given this guy, hey, don't say anything. What? You just healed me. I have to tell someone. And this is familiar from Jesus, right? Jesus often tells folk, listen, hey, I know I just healed you. It's pretty grand if I don't say so myself. But don't tell anyone. And I don't think hardly anybody listens to that command. Mainly this guy's not going to listen to him. There's one incident where Jesus did not give the command. Who was it? Remember the demoniac guy? The, the man with the legion, the, the thousands of demons within him. Jesus cast them out, right, into the, the pigs. And Jesus tells this guy, hey, go back to, where does he go back to? Decapolis. Where are we at in this story? Decapolis. And he tells the guy, 
Go out and tell your family and everyone around what I have done for you. How did these guys know what Jesus can do? How? Because the first missionary to Decapolis was the man who couldn't shut up because he was once possessed, once just bound by demons, suddenly in Decapolis, preaching what Jesus Christ has done for him. And, and, and these friends likely caught wind. Oh, oh, this may be the guy that the demon, the dude that used to be demon-possessed is talking about. And, and now he wants us to shut up? What, Jesus, what, you, are you crazy? You know why Jesus tells them this, right? Because the full scale of the gospel had not been complete. You can't have a gospel that's just about healings and miracles because that's not the gospel. Jesus is trying to get this message clear to these people. before He's warning these people, like, chill out on the message because the message isn't complete yet. In fact, the main part of the message hasn't even been written yet. But just in a few more months, you can go tell whoever you want to. Because just in four months from this, Jesus will go to a cross and be crucified. And three days later, he'll be resurrected from the grave. And that is the story of the gospel. This is why Jesus is always telling folk, listen, I want you to make sure you don't tell anybody because I'm not just about signs and wonders. Don't come to me just for those things. Jesus wants his message to be complete because he is after you being a new and complete person. And that's only by way of the cross of Christ. That's the reason why Jesus is telling them. That's the full story. And, and then lastly, look at their, their comments to kind of wrap up our story here. In verse 37, they were astonished and they said a couple of things here. He does all things well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. He does things well. He does things, this is perfect tense, meaning continuously. He does things perfect, new. Everything he has done up to this point has been well. Everything he has done. They are commenting on the perfection of the newness that they see in this mute and deaf guy. And how does Jesus do it? With just a word. Right? Be open. Afafta, be opened. Be healed. He speaks this, and it happens. I can speak a lot of things, and it ain't going to happen. Matthew Thrower will be the next millionaire. Exactly. Thank you, Lisa, for that vote of confidence. Appreciate that. With the likelihood that that will probably never happen. Unless you all would like to gift me. I'm not going to turn it away. 
I could speak many things, but it probably will not happen. Okay? Jesus can speak whatever he wants. It will happen. Reminds me of Genesis 1. God said, let there be light. God said, God said, and it happened. God said, and it happened. God spoke, and it was created. Let me take you back just a second to John's gospel, John chapter 1. You don't have to turn there. It says, in the beginning was the word. Pay attention now, because this is good. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then it goes on. Everything that was made was made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Who is he talking about? Jesus. Who is creating? Who is the active agent of creation? Jesus was. The creator of the universe is here in person doing what he's done since the beginning of time itself. Creating. Making things new. Because that's what Jesus does. He makes things new. New and they're astonished at it, and they say, Because he does things well, he does things perfect, he does things new. Jesus speaks, creates, and makes things from nothing into newness because that's who Jesus is. The fullness of God, the God-man, Jesus Christ, is right here in person doing what he's done since the beginning of time, creating. Just a few thoughts, uh, and then I'll be done. The first thing is just going back to this point where Jesus understands. Jesus cares. I love that he puts his fingers in the ears and on the tongue, and he's, and he's showing all of these type of gestures so that the man could fully understand you're not what culture has told you that you are. You're not insane. You're, I'm, I'm going, I, I have identified the root of your issue, and you're not crazy. You're just deaf and mute, and I'm here to create something new. I'm here to make you well. Isn't that what the world tries to do to us? They try to label you. They try to fix you just based off of your past mistakes. And see, see, look at that person. They're always this. They're just a drunk. They're just an addict. They're just always this. But when you meet Jesus for the first time, he doesn't look at you and say, look, what have you done, you addict? What have you done, you adulterous moron? In the Greek, that's idiot. He doesn't do this when he meets you. He looks at you, he identifies the root issue of your heart, which has been alienated by God. And when he calls you his own, it's because he understands and he cares. He is a compassionate Jesus. He understands and he sees you right 
where you are, not the cleaned up version of you. He's not waiting for, you think Jesus was like, well, after you go to speech therapy, after you wait for until the 21st century comes or the 20th, 20th century comes, get in here, Nate, come back to me, then I'll help you out. And that's just not the gospel. The gospel doesn't demand you and doesn't command you to go clean yourself up. That's not the gospel. The other thought that I had from this story is that Jesus moves us to worship and proclamation. The man who once lived a life of being the mute, being the deaf, just can't stop telling everyone about Jesus. Man, you just remember, can I just encourage you, remember that moment when Jesus found you and saved you and redeemed you and delivered you from your life of sin? Remember that moment. And that moment when you beheld Jesus for who he really is, don't forget that. Always be in a posture in your heart where you're constantly beholding Jesus for who he is the Redeemer, the Savior of your souls. It moved this man to proclaim this message to everyone. I try to drive this point in every sermon. I have, like, who are you proclaiming that message to this week? The, the last thing here is that Jesus makes all things new. And I love this because not only does he understand you, not only does he get you, not only does he see you right where you are, Man, this is just, this just such the incredible message of the gospel. He doesn't leave you there. We have a saying in the church world, come as you are. And yes, but the moment you encounter Jesus, do not ever expect that he will allow you to stay that way. That is not a, a God that we would serve. Jesus doesn't look at you as you come to him and you're like, well, you know what? Once you clean these things up and check off this list of things to do, then let's talk. Never think for a moment that this come as you are message is that you get to stay as you are. Because the gospel message would say come as you are and expect to be made new. Because Jesus doesn't fix you. He doesn't tweak you. He makes you into a new creation. That's why we wrote, uh, read this morning from 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if anyone is in Christ, they're not a fixed person. They're not an adjuster. They don't, haven't been behaviorally modified. No, they're a new creation. That's why in Ephesians, he calls us dead in our sins, but we are made what? Alive in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus makes things new. Friend, if you want Jesus to fix you, he won't do it. If you want Jesus to make you a better person, he won't do it. If you want Jesus to modify, tweak, give you a better spouse, don't say amen, please. Give you better children. He won't. He's not in that business. He's in the business to make you a new creation. That's his business. Behold Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to the cross of Christ. 
He removes the burdens of your old life and he gives you a new life in him. In John Bunyan's classic, Pilgrim's Progress, there's a section in there in the third chapter, Bunyan writes of Christian, the pilgrim who is on his way to the king. After leaving the city of destruction led by God and his warriors on the straight and narrow, he finds himself up on the hill finally. He's had this burden on his back his whole life. And he's like, you know what, if I could just reach the king, then I know my burden will be taken away. John Bunyan writes this. At the top of the hill stood a cross, and a little below at the bottom was a stone tomb. In my dream, just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosened from his shoulders and fell off his back, and it tumbled and continued to do so down the hill until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell inside and was seen no more. Why? Because Jesus takes the burdens of your past and he makes you new. He swallows up your old life. He swallows up all of that in the tomb. And he gives you a new identity. He makes you new because Jesus makes all things new. 